They say the success rate of the wolf hunt is about 30-40%. The art of the wolf, the warrior, is not living in the 30%, but rather surviving the 70%. Persevering through the pain, the distance, the hunger, the blinding storms, and the torrential rains that batter against beaten hides and eyes. The long strides of endurance and the empty feeling of a winded soul. The nipping and the stabbing of hungry teeth upon a prey that always seems so close but remains so very far. It is about the testing of weaknesses, the traveling of paths, and the howling of your spirit as you race across the forest to adversity and mental obstacles. What is best in life? What is life to the old wolf? The hunt is life, and so is the art of survival. One more step, one more storm, one more hunt, and on and on and on. MDLP. Gotta shout myself out, boys. Bringing the heat today. Oh, man, I love that. Whoever wrote that is stupid. Oh, God. What's going on, guys? This is MDLP, your host. This is the Battle Axe Podcast, episode 16. Yeah. I can't believe they have us here for so long. <laughs> Not by choice. We right? <laughs> just force Walk ourselves in. and in. show up. <laughs> um, so we're going to get used to these new mics today, which is great. But honestly, as we always start off, never forgetting where we came from and always shouting out to those who have helped us along the way. Of course, the Battle Axe Clan. Shout out to everybody that helps us and supports us and the clan itself. Thank you. Cerberus USA, thank you because they're a new sponsor to us, giving us great, a great discount code and helping us out on Strongman. So shout out to Cerberus USA. Bearded Villains Miami, BV305. Johnny, always a member. I'm obviously an honored family member and my cousin and all the guys that do great work for our community. Shout out to the villains. Thank you much for everything. Church LLC. Just want to shout out these boys and give them respect. I helped put them on a platform and they have become an entire unit on themselves, um, giving back to the community, giving shirts to good people, never forgetting where they came from, and just being generally good people, man. So shout out to Church LLC. Give them a little shout and a follow. And of course, never forgetting, number 16, stay strong, brother. Keep fighting. You're winning that fight. So let's start this good day. This is our bad podcast. We're going to be caffeinated as possible. <laughs> We're just going to fly off the seat of our pants and do absolutely nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Seriously, we have a whole plan. John sets me in motion and then lets me go. That's right. Sometimes you got to let them off the chain. So, since we're here, just a friendly reminder, if you're a listener, we need you to do us a favor. Subscribing is great. Ratings are even better. If you rate the podcast, it puts us out in front of more people, gets more people listening, we grow, and then maybe we do super cool stuff like do stuff. Yeah, give stuff away. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, we'll give stuff away like uh, handshakes and yeah, sure. thanks for listening. Maybe a shirt. And I yeah. think they only come in five-star ratings, so you can only give us five stars always. No, no, no. The thing's broken. It actually only lets you do five yeah, stars. You can't do less than five. So just a that's, reminder. That's um, but honestly, thank you guys. It's pretty cool that we even have enough episodes to even ask people to subscribe. I think that's cool. You know, when you first start a show, it, you're really not talking about that. You know, you're yeah. not established. And now I feel like, you know, <laughs> you have a little something to say, so... If you guys want to do that, that's really cool. And all the people that are reposting our podcast, I really, and I say we actually, appreciate that. Yeah, I know no you're question. taking a few seconds off our time. It just feels awesome to see that all over the internet. So thank you. Both of us are super appreciative of that. So enough emotions. Ugh, yeah. Stupid makes my stomach God. hurt. I'm 
I'm over it. But things. I'm still punching. Yeah, go punch a baby. <laughs> Ma'am, can I see your child? Bat. There you go. That's what life's about, kid. <laughs> Welcome to your teenage years, <laughs> idiot. I'm 34. Same thing. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, we'll go with what's most current. Correct. World's strongest man just passed. Right. Yeah, you got to sit directly under the sun, so that was nice. Yeah, at 167,000 degrees. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so shout out to World's Strongest Man because I thought it was really cool they had it in Florida. Weird that they show us a small little place like Bradenton, but it makes sense if you watch the classic. They use like a beach in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime uh, thing. You never know. Was um, that your first World's Strongest Man? Yeah, absolutely. I think the last wow. time I was in the States was in Vegas, but a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and it was my World's Strongest Man, a lot of us. And I told a lot of my people to go because I wanted them to see, and it was very important, what these guys go through. So, yeah. uh, you know, the perspective of, a, of an athlete is one thing because we, and I say we, as a community are so spoiled, you know, like when you go to local shows like Florida's or Miami's, everything's pretty damn set. Yeah. You know, it's it's nice. Everything's ready for you. When you're, it's your name being called, you go, you know? Yeah. Well, these guys are going through it and there's this like hurry up and wait. Ugh. So they'll get there and they're wrapping their knees and I hold on, we got to reshoot this. We got to take it. We got to do another take. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's about to squat 750, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, they're being wheeled out on a four-wheeler. It's literally like 96 degrees out. These guys are 350, 400 pounds. It's, yeah. I don't want to say it's bad. It's still kind of that blue-collar, old-school look. But you're looking at the strongest people in history, mm-hmm. literally history. And it still has that kind of backyard feeling, which is kind of nice, but not for the athlete. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I see guys <laughs> at local meets that if they get misloaded by, like, half a kilo, they're they're going through shit. I'm like, these guys are the strongest people in history, and they're just sitting there baking in the sun. Yeah. And as an audience, not really audience-friendly. You know, we didn't have any stands. They're deadlifting on a beach that's flat. So you can imagine when there's a row of people, you can't really see when you're past the back. There's no right. tents for us. Everyone, luckily, Scott from Vanilla Gorilla uh, brought a, a tent for us to stand there. We would have been literally... Like cooking, dude. It was hot. Yeah. Um. So uh, as a person, uh, somebody goes see. Yeah, I think we as strongmen appreciate that. So we're gonna stand in whatever it is. Right. But it's hard for the the general population to just walk by. And, you know, luckily it was overcast day too. But by then you're gonna have to leave. But I just wanted to bring that up as a perspective of an athlete. When you go watch these professionals put their body and entire careers on the line. A shout out to those guys, and, and I clap them on the back for being so professional. Even when they were, they would just sit down relatively quietly. Even when they just got ready and had to sit down, they amped themselves up and have to calm down. And uh, no, not yet. No, can you imagine? Yeah, amping up for a competition max. I find that very interesting. That you know, Crazy. you see some guys who will have to hit the torque and pace and do all this, like even on a, on the nationals level, and then to be able to go. Hey man, calm down. Go sit down. It's gonna be fifteen minutes. Yes, no, literally that. Like, and I don't mean literally like in Miami. Literally, we use it for literally. The guys are about to go. No, no, no. Hold on, we got to retake. And and um, Aaron what would West, that do to MDLP as an athlete? Ugh. So look, <laughs> look, and that's and I. It's funny you asked that, and I brought it up for that reason. It's a reason why when I train and I and I I, I say this to a lot of guys that have been in the game for a while that they have the ability to turn it on and turn it off at will. And that's why when I train, I'm so intense because I need to train that like a weapon. 
Mm-hmm. I need to train it to fire. The gun doesn't shoot itself. You only use it when you need it. And I find myself doing that, that that helps me for things like that. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I was getting ready, for the most part, unless I had to put on equipment, which isn't fair, I can go, okay, I can wait, because I can turn it on at will, but that's taking me 20 years of training. It's like, it's like putting up your dukes. Like once you get your hands up, I can turn on that energy right now to fight, and I can turn it off. That's just me because I've been training that way, and I tell that to my lifters, and I tell that to most people. Train for that scenario where you have to be at a zero, go to 120, and come back to zero or 40 at will, not at the will of the movement or the implement or the environment around you because now you're not controlled. Mm-hmm. Now you're just you're being controlled by the outside of the variables. So you can see these guys, I mean, ramp it up and then relax. And, I'm like, and then they ramp it up. I'm like, dude. You warmed up like an hour ago. Yeah. It's just credit to that. That's why I tell people when you train, your mentality is a weapon. That is one of your tools. That's a belt. That's a strap or a knee sleeve. Your mindset is a weapon. Don't come into those attempts. You know, when you're having a real training session and be afflicted by back in the day, yeah. I mean, you you want everything to be your scenario. Like if you're talking during one of my heavy deadlifts, I'm going to say shut the fuck up. That was the whole thing I used to do. And I still, but it's more out of respect. Yeah. Not because I need you literally, not because I'm distracted by you, it's out of respect. Yeah. But think about it. You know, how, what happens when somebody in the audience is booing you? <laughs> That's true. I mean, somebody might not like you. What if your opponent, that your, your rival is looking right at you, like r- hoping you fucking fail? Yeah. Are you going to be able to turn it back on there? So shout out to those guys, man. If you really watch that, you can see them turning on and turning off. Um, I thought the events were pretty cool. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, the big congratulations. I don't want to keep saying shout out, bro. Jesus Christ. I think you've become a DJ. I'm night, a DJ maybe? now. I'm a promoter for clubs. <laughs> uh, club no IT's. Yeah. No IT's. <laughs> 40 up front, bro. 60 <laughs> for the dudes. Um, <laughs> but shout out to Martins, man. I I cannot. You picked him top three. I did, right? Yeah. Fucking proof of that. And the only. So you picked Martins. You picked Thor. You and picked Shaw. Thor to win. And Shaw. And I believe Shaw got hurt. So, no, um, he didn't get hurt, hurt, but he was beat up. But, no, I think his injury, his hamstring injury from the Arnolds yeah. took a lot of training out of him. Yeah. Um, and he said it himself if you watch his YouTube videos. And credit to him because he even knows what he needs. He's like, I need to lose weight. I need to get faster. And I need to be a better athlete. Yeah. I'm like, how cool is that, that maybe 15 years in the game, he's reinventing himself. So I, I thought that was really, really cool. I think you have to. But do you think that the direction of World's Strongest Man is appealing more to the athletic strongman as opposed to just the bulky, me move one thing one time? Man, I I almost whispered it. It's the end of the Giants, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's back to the, you know, uh, Magnus times or the Puyanovsky. Yeah. The more athletic, not necessarily lean, but definitely a little bit more athletic. Right, sure. And I think it's important in big time to kind of recognize the athletes that are trying to adjust to that. And I saw I saw a video of Brian Shaw say that, and I go, wow, how how cool is that? Well, he even has a video trying to lose 40. Yeah, exactly. You do whatever you take to win. He said it. He's like, man, I just, I'm disappointed in myself. I have yeah. to move faster. Yeah. And you got guys like Martins who are as strong as a 400-pound guy, but as fast as a 300-pound guy. Yeah, and exactly. It's crazy, man. So, And again, it's I remember hearing an interview with him like two years ago is, oh, I'm going to be world's strongest man because of my train. I'm like, shut up. No way. <laughs> like, come on, dude. You just got there. And I'm like, oh, man. Y- yeah. Yes, you did. And he's like a, uh, Leifa knows him and so does Burke. 
He's like a cool dude. Watches anime. He's talking about One Punch he's, Man in the interview. I'm like super nerdy. Oh my gosh. That's so great. Like me. My first huge. experience ever seeing him was actually when we went to Vegas for nationals. And he ended up being JT's um judge most of the time. Really? And I couldn't believe at his size he was super mobile. Like just sitting in a full depth squat, chilling. Like chilling. Yeah. Like he was like one of those rice patty. I Asian saw him people. do a muscle up. He was doing muscle ups <laughs> like at three. I'm like, yo. And I remember saying, I'm like, yo, man, that's not good. And whatever he's doing. So, and yeah, I, I know Mateusz Kaiskowski did really, really good too. And I had him in top five. Yeah, you did. And I, Thor tearing his fascia tissue in his foot, which is a very painful injury. Yeah. And still coming top three. I think, honestly, he might have won it or at least given Martins a way bigger battle. Yeah. Because that injury is crazy debilitating. He caught a 750 squat. He lost his balance, and he caught it on that back. Can you imagine that? Like, <sighs> It's like having a, even a sprained ankle. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm out. Yeah, and it was a bad one. He took a picture. It was, like, super black and blue and all beat up and everything. So um, <laughs> the best was the post, too. Like, good news, everybody. I'm still I'm still competing. Yeah, good news. It's a torn fascia that most people would quit the sport for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people break a toe. They're like, guys, I'm out for like six months. I'm like, what happened, dog? Nah, I broke this toe. Nah, I'm going to kill yourself. Yeah, seriously. And uh, you know what? There was quite a few injuries. But uh, what I think is the more interesting question is to talk about uh, you as a coach, um, how you would handle an athlete that at that level who sustains an injury that could be potentially career career ending if it's not protected the right way? Uh, that's a good question. And I, I think we have to identify the difference between a professional athlete and most of us. And if you're a professional athlete, I think it's important to identify that, yeah, your body is your money maker, but if you don't, if you don't show up, you're not going to get money. Right. Um, and that's what you love to do. That's what you really want to focus on. So I would I would definitely identify that level first. I'll say that first. Secondly, I would say, what is the mindset of this person? Do they have the will that if they get hurt, it's just part of the journey? Or do they have the mindset, if I get hurt, I need to focus on my career or my real job or my family. Um, I don't have insurance or I can't deal with pain. And you have to know your lifter. There's certain guys in, in my group that I know are willing to just pretty much die out there. And there's some guys that, and I, I don't respect them any less, they just they have careers. They have yeah, something sure. to do that they have to keep their body in one, one piece or they can't afford the surgeries. That I'm like, yo, man, call it. Like you can see it in their eyes, right? Yeah. I've had situations where a lifter gets hurt early. And you can almost see their spirit like leaving the body. You're like, this person just got shot in the soul. And you can see that panic sets in because they've never really experienced too many injuries or... They had so many mindsets to do it, and now they're done. Yeah. And I've had it many times. And as a coach, first of all, I'd like to say that it's like one of the worst feelings in the world. It's You almost say, God, put it on me, bro, not yeah. my lifter. It's one of the worst feelings to watch a, a teammate, let alone a, your, your lifter, get hurt. It, yeah. Or go out and, sh- and you know, just respect to a lot of coaches out there. It's very painful. and It's, it's difficult. Um, when you're seeing them, and you have to identify that they're crushed. If they're crushed... And they're out. They're out of it already. They're done. They're, they're out. And you have to respect that that person is not you. Mm-hmm. I know that my lifter is not me. Like I'll go out there and kill myself. That's me. It's not a really great answer, but that's who I am. Sure. My lifter might want to lift again or enjoy playing with their family. 
So I see that mindset first. I look in their eyes. I see their body language. I hear their voice. You know, typically injuries, it almost makes their voice tremble because they're in pain or in discomfort. And then I'll make the decision. I've had lifters where they, you know, I tore something. I'm like, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm like, okay, we're doing it together. Then let's go. And I have other guys. I'm like, how do you feel? They're like, well. And I'm like, hey, man, you're done. Yeah. Uh, my call. And even if they get upset about it, because it's upsetting. I'm sure. like, you're done, man. You're pulling out. You're done. Um, and you have to understand that. Um, I think a lot of sometimes as coaches, we project ourselves on our lifters and we think because we can do it, they can do it. Yeah. But not necessarily. Because we were coached once too and they told us to not do it. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, I think it's more important to identify. Obviously, biomechanics, medical issues aside, obviously if it's like a, a break or a tear, let's right. not, obviously you're going to pull a, a lifter out, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but you got to make that decision. I tore my hamstring in 2014 in Florida's Strongest Man and I still won. And I tore it. Bap! I'm like, well, and I was on my third event. I had two events left, and I'm like, it was a deadlift for refs and a stone load. And I told myself, I go, I will die before I not win Florida's Strongest Man. This is my fucking year. Wow. And that's it. We did it. And I, I remember talking to Alan, and he's like, how torn is it? And I, I, I did the same thing. I go, I'm going to fucking win this. Like, it, it doesn't matter. And he's like, all right, do it. And do it good. Like, I thought, at the time, he was coaching me, and, and, and we were a team. And that was a big deal for me. Yeah. So I know what it feels like to make those decisions, you know. So uh, I think it's more on the mindset of the lifter. Medical issues aside, you can see that. Even in your training partners, look around them. Next time you're training, look at them. Even a bad day can take a lifter out. Imagine an injury. And I mean an injury, not hurt, not pain. Like yeah. a real something. Sure. Um, so, yeah, as I, would tell, I would look Thor in the face. I mean, obviously, like, stand in a fucking <laughs> six-foot box and shit. But you can see that he's got that will of a champion. He's a world champion. Yeah. He's a professional athlete. Yeah. It makes sense for him to keep going. And that issue, that pain issue, is like it's already torn. It could cause further issues, but you can it's just painful. Yeah. Uh, it's not like uh, Lauren Chalet, who I love, who tore his Achilles. You're out. Like you yeah. can't do shit on that. So, yeah, the decision to me is more on the mindset of the lifter. And makes I think sense. most coaches that are listening will know, even as lifting mates. What about with... Obviously, uh, you know, a lot of coaches have to do a lot of remote coaching. Can you still have that connection with your lifter, even if you don't, if you're not there physically interacting with them? God, that's a good one. That's a really good one, too. Um, I think remote coaching is rough. And I'll go out. I have a lot of online clients. Um, shout out to all of these guys, too. Shout out, my God. <laughs> um, but <laughs> shout out just sounds good. It does. I hate it, though. Uh, but seriously. We're going to come up with a better word next yeah. time. Call out. No, we'll think <laughs> no, about it. No, now that's a fight. Call out. Um, I think it's important to identify that it's important to call them, to speak to them. But it's very difficult as a coach. And I'll tell you what, I have a sense of guilt sometimes where I wish I can connect with them more. Um, you know, they're across the state, sometimes across the pond. I have one, I've had one in Germany, Australia, Italy, and England. And you wish you could go there and, like, physically cue them in and talk to them. Um, but I think it matters how you write to them, how you communicate. And if I'm not there and it's like a play-by-play, -play, it's almost impossible to make the right call. You can almost, you have to call them literally, physically, or, or FaceTime. Be like, yo, call me. If I had clients like, hey, man, I, I tweak something. I'm like, <laughs> call me. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, what do you feel? Well, and you can hear it. You can see it in their text, remember? Yeah. I'm like, you're, you're, you're nervous. Like, <laughs> stop. Um, and it, it's uh, anyone anyone that's listening, coaches that are listening, it's very difficult, 
very difficult to do things remotely. Sure. Um, you can't feel that lifter's energy. You can't. You can't really like understand what's going on because you're not there. Right. So you do your best through phone calls, and it's hard, man. I'll be honest with you. It's almost like a sense of guilt, like shit. But you have to err on the side of safety. So as a remote coach that's far away, you pretty much have to side with stop mm-hmm. because you, you can't really do that. Oh, I think you're okay. You're not even there to physically assess the injury, right? Right. So, yeah, we, we try to push that. I, I personally say, man, if you're tweaked, stop. Let's talk about it. Or if you're really hurt, you know, pull out of the comp or, or be a grown-ass man or woman. Be like, your call, bro. But I think you should stop. Sure, sure. And I, what about timeline in between the tweaking and the assessment? Um, for example, with my calf tour, I didn't really feel pain right away because my adrenaline was pumping so hard. Boop, 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 boop. And, you know, when we talked, it was probably about 20, 25 minutes after. Uh, I wasn't getting around well. I wasn't walking well, but I wasn't also like, oh, oh, every time I moved. Do you think there should be like an amount of time in between your athlete feeling something like that? And I, w- I would say that obviously I think that depends on the injury. I think depending on the injury also there's certain physical cues and tests that you can do. Obviously mm-hmm. your calf, we tested your Achilles, your ability to move your foot. Pain is not literally the best indicator, indicator Excuse me, of what's going on. Uh, everyone's pain tolerance is different. Right. People that have experienced more injuries tend to be, oh, that doesn't hurt. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean it's not good or, or <laughs> that you're right. okay. It's typically like biomechanical things like can you stand on your, t- for example, a back tweak. Can you walk on your heels? Can you walk on your toes? If you slouch, do you have pain? There's certain little tests that you can do immediately that can tell you how severe the pain is. Mm-hmm. Regardless, you should always err on the side of safety, meaning stop. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, whether it's a phone call or even physically, I'd be like, yo, stop. Because now you're going to do pain guarding, which your body naturally will shy away from the pain, and now you start lifting like shit. Yeah. So now you're going to hurt yourself even more. Makes so, sense. Man, this mic, it is <laughs> something else today. You can just <laughs> Don't you run food. from me. I know. But that, that's what I, I think we're going to, I would say, just all oh, side of safety, certain little tests you can do, like I did, you know, can you move your foot? Can you feel your tendon? Things like that. Yeah. Um, and then just stop and let yourself calm down and honestly sleep on it. Because the next day will be a better indica- indicator of where you're at. Okay. Because, you know, you're still pumping full of adrenaline. You're still full of pre-workout and all this stuff. And then suddenly you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, okay, I really fucked it up. Or, oh, it's not so bad. You know, so that's what I would think. Yeah, sure. And then that kind of decides, helps you make your decisions on whether to pull out of training for a comp or, you know, within a comp. Do you think that, <coughs> well, I think you kind of said it, but those injuries in training for a comp, do you tend to make the decisions uh, quicker depending on how much time you have until you compete? Say, for example, you're six weeks out and you tear a calf. Do you say, okay, well, we got six weeks. We know that you can kind of rest for two or three or how's that work leading up to a comp as, as opposed to, you know, obviously tearing a calf, you tore a calf in Florida strongest man, 2018. Yeah. I tore my calf and my tricep. Yeah. Um, good question. Is a juice worth the squeeze is always kind of the best, um, 
to me, the best answer for most things in life. Right. For example, I tore my calf six weeks out from Florida's. Florida's was everything to me. It was going to be my first comp back. I wanted to win it. It's a show that I always do, a family show, basically, with Iron House. Right. It was worth it. Like I, There was nothing that was going to take me away from Florida's. That was my mindset. Mm-hmm. It was my first comp in two years, and I said the same thing I always said. I'm like, I will die before I don't compete. And I say it sometimes plain, and sometimes I really mean it. So when I tore it, it wasn't a matter of if I'm competing or not. It's how I'm going to com- overcome this. Because the juice was worth the squeeze. It was a competition that was very important to me. When when I was training for the, the May show in Kentucky, when I tore my the part of my bicep muscle, it wasn't worth the squeeze. I was already qualified. I was doing it for an Arnold position where I knew I needed to be 100%. I wasn't. I needed to be at top of my game. I wasn't. So... It, nothing was worth it. Yeah. Everything was against me. Um, so that wasn't one of these things where I'm like, oh, I'm going to push through anyway. Also, the severity of the injury, a torn calf, it's not that bad. I mean, I've torn my calves, my hamstrings, my muscles, all over the place, torn obliques, yeah. whatever. Like to us in the game, it's like, eh, yeah, that's sure. doable. A torn hamstring, a little bit more difficult. And then you got to gauge it as a coach and as somebody that understands injuries. How bad is a torn calf two weeks out? Very bad. Yeah. Um, but can you compete? Sure. It's just how are you moving? A yeah. torn hamstring a week out, that might be your whole competition. Yeah. So you got to gauge into the severity of, of the injury, obviously, within reason. Again, the mindset of the lifter, is this something they do? Is this is something they can overcome? Is their, their livelihood affected of the big deal that people don't look into? But where where and how much of this juice is worth it? Sure. You know, obviously, going into the, the nationals I used to go to, everything was worth the squeeze. Injuries were not a big deal. And... Maybe that's why I'm more fucked up, but that's what that meant everything to me. Going to the Arnolds, going into the games coming soon. I don't. I know that if I qualify for those, I'm I'm the same thing. I'm like, I will die before I don't go. You know, like that's my shit. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you uh, took us down the juice the juice worth the squeeze conversation. So, two years out, you you don't get to compete for two years. Obviously, you go to Florida's. You place second, which is after acceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean second. Some of us have won that before. I don't know. Whatever. So yeah, whatever. Kind of just a day's work. <laughs> but anyways, you know. But the thing is, is, is okay. So now you've qualified for nationals. You as a coach, if you had a lifter who had waited that long to compete, they qualify for nationals, so they have that down the pipe. You know how severe the injury was. Do you talk them down from competing in between up to nationals? I would say that that depends on their their experience level. Mm-hmm. If they just made nationals and they have very little experience, I would say they need to. Co- they, they, it's fine for them to compete in between because their work capacity, the competition weight, and their ability to train is lighter. For example. A newer lifter might max out a 400-pound deadlift. Okay, well, working that percentages week in and week out is not too bad. Mm -hmm. The stronger you get, the more responsibility you have, and the more wear and tear you get. So now you're 70. For example, my 70, 75% is already above the 500s. So my work capacity is at a higher level with more metabolic and neurologic decay, neurological decay. So I can't compete as often anymore. A, I'm older, I'm more injured. But my training capacity is higher. So you, I could compete more often, but it comes at a higher price than a person who's, quote-unquote, not as strong or less experienced where they need more what? 
skill set, motor pattern uh, development, and they need to get in the sport more often. Mm-hmm. They have to. It's how they get better. So it's really about, again, the juice worth the squeeze, right? Mm-hmm. So if, my, if one of my lifters makes it in December and qualifies for nationals in September, I would say, yeah, they can compete one more time in between, sometime maybe in you know, Miami's or something, yeah, just to see where they're at. But obviously within reason. They go into that show healthy and strong and all these things and then focus on nationals. This nationals is something they want to do. As an experienced coach now, with way more opportunities in the sport now and understanding how things are in the long term, I would tell them the same thing. I go, nationals will always be there. Mm-hmm. What is it you're trying to get out of this sport? If going to nationals is your pinnacle, your vision is short-sighted. As a man that's been in the sport for a long time. Yeah, I like that. If you think that's it, then your, your horizon isn't very far, and neither is your vision. Mm-hmm. If you say, I want to be as strong as I can be to develop myself to be just a bad motherfucker and get stronger and feel good and compete and go overseas and win my... Okay, well, guess what? It's going to be there next year. And if you really love this sport, you'll make it next year because yeah. you'll compete again and again and again. And people, like, what I used to do is, like, to me, and it's still a very good set and a good toxic mindset. There is no tomorrow for me, right? But that doesn't mean that I don't understand the present or the future. It's just a saying that I do to motivate myself. Yeah. If I really believed in that, I'd be competing in nationals in September, which I'm not. Well, good. We'll get to that. <laughs> so then after you qualified for nationals, why didn't you say that to yourself like, hey, let's just prepare for nationals? What made you want to jump into another comp? I felt that I needed to build my competitive base. I needed to believe in myself again. Mm. There is a demon that dances deep within my soul that sometimes tells me I still don't have what it takes. And uh, it's it's tough. It's just me being me and not appreciating how far I've come. That's just how I am. There's this soul, there's this like voice in my head that I need to keep proving to myself that I can be more than I can ever imagine. And I'm still, I still have courage and that I still have commitment and that I can not drink for eight weeks and that I can diet for eight weeks and that I can be this killing machine again and I it's like I needed to feel it again because yeah. I hadn't done it for so long right but I miss it I missed it John I missed it man yeah. I missed the I'm eight weeks out I'm uh, six weeks out there's nothing a, more clear than watching you at Florida's <laughs> you had missed it for sure it's it's my whole life so I was like okay I'll do one more because again I have the skill acquisition to jump into any show it's not mm-hmm. gonna hurt me and it was going to be basically five months before nationals. Yeah. A lot I thought that was a healthy, time. yeah, I thought that was a healthy number. And then going into it, I started getting tweaky, and I realized there's a lot of things I need to develop and redevelop and reinvent. So, Do you, uh, considering your injuries, when you go to pick a comp, say you're going to pick your second comp outside of nationals, do you look at those events and go, man, because obviously you did that for nationals, but say the other, do you look at those events like, you know what, well, I want to get my feet wet, plus those won't be too critical towards my major injuries, my spine and stuff like that. Or do you just go, that one looks good? Yeah, I'm fucking see, do that. We, we, we used to call those people cherry pickers. Yeah. The people used to cherry pick what comp they want to do. Um, back then, and I mean back then, like six years ago, I'm not saying like back in my day, the sport has really grown. I mean, it's exploded. Mm-hmm. There's two to three competitions every weekend everywhere yeah florida there's so many opportunities so many corporations across the ocean and stuff like that i now will choose any show that i can get into 
And the only reason why I pulled out of nationals is because the the juice was not worth the squeeze of the training program. Yeah. Could I pull a six twenty five four inch axle deficit deadlift? Maybe. I'm gonna go out and just say maybe. Most likely, yes. With a good training cycle, yeah. But during the training cycle, it would pull from me a lot. I don't, and that's the one lift McGill told me is absolutely bad for me. So I I stacked up the op, the options. Yeah. I, I suck at the circus, circus dumbbell, in my opinion. That circus dumbbell has ruined so many things in my life. I've three comps have caught me cost me top three or top five. Wow. Three comps. Two of the platinum pluses it cost me top three because I only got one rep and I was killing it. Jeez. Anyways, but that's like but I wanted it. I was like, oh they choose dumbbell? Yes. Let me let me get in tune with my old friend again. Redemption there was, song. Yeah, the stone to shoulder, like I was like, Ugh, that's the the stone of steel before they changed it. Yeah. That's what tore my bicep. So I saw it as a as a a, a way to to build my courage, to yeah. believe in myself again. Because honestly, dog, like pulling the stone still freaks me out. And I'll be straight up with you. It's a, it's a feeling. Not so much my right bicep, but my my left one that's not fucked up. Yeah. So I saw it as a way to uh, building a journey. And then I saw that actual deficit deadlift. I'm like, that's just stupid. Like really, just a stupid thing. And that's more of who's gonna survive the training thing. And I, I can tell you right now, I won't. Yeah. Because the way my spine is, it just won't. And for what? Like for well, okay, so we get a we might get an Arnold's invite. I might win my pro card on my best day. I'll be honest with you. I don't I don't consider myself top five in nationals yet. Although it's feeling like I'm coming back into that. But what is there? Like there's no world opportunity. We get stuck in that same cycle where I'm competing just to compete. I realized that I wanted to compete for nationals. More importantly, to prove to everyone else that you can come back and compete again. And then I talk to myself and I'm like, Mike, like, why are you really doing this? Like, again, why are you in the sport? I'm like, well, to accomplish certain goals and be the strongest human being that I can be. Yeah. And I thought that going into this comp, I was going to work backwards again. Sure. I was going to wreck myself for like everything that I've preached. I'm doing it against. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I saw an opportunity with the games. It's a world competition. I like the world qualifier concept. I've been wanting to do it for three years. The first year I was injured. Second year I got hurt. I was actually training for it. I tweaked my back. That was the year, the year of Florida's. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, consider a world competition, and get my foot in the door. I was like, fuck it. Just, I don't have anything to prove anymore. Yeah, like, sure. I, I was like, Mike, what are you doing, dude? Like, you've been, stop it. <laughs> you know, I talked to a couple of my buddies, and I'm like, they're like, yeah, man, who cares? I'm like, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, at what point, or do you think it's absolutely necessary for an athlete who's considering um, withdrawing from a competition or even picking a competition to consult an outside source, coach, friends, et cetera? Always. 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 I don't think anyone ever in anything should ever choose a path or direction without consulting people they trust. That doesn't necessarily mean letting them influence you, but it's important to have a cabinet of good ideas so that you have an ocean to pick out of, not a puddle. I've always made strong decisions by myself. Like I always said, that lone wolf decision, but that th- that's only when the decision is made. But I sit and ask and I talk about it. I have to make jokes about decisions because I deal with stress with morbid jokes like you and me. <laughs> when something's really bad. Yeah. Or I'll ask, like, this is what I'm going to do. Tell me what you think. Not because I'm necessarily going to be influenced by you, but... Your ideas might blossom more ideas. Or shit, maybe your idea is better than mine. Yeah. And when you're an athlete, you should listen to your coach. That's why you, you trust. If you trust your coach, 
that's something that's a big decision pulling pulling out of comps or picking competitions because they know you too or what or even better they'll tell you what you don't want to hear which is you're not fucking ready buddy yeah or you're too tired or you need to focus on what's important or you're beat up stop because again as an athlete we're all mindless animals right and i realized that's what i was going to do for nationals being an athlete but as a coach i would have been like yo mike that's not a good lift for you i don't think you're top really top five top six yet you got a lot of athleticism to work out and you got a lot of things you need to beat up on yeah sure what's the point what are you going to do just to prove to everybody that you can i'm like come on man you can make nationals whenever you want not to be a dick but it's true so it's important to always have a cabinet of ideas as an athlete and, and other athletes that you trust because there's some athletes that are going to side on what you want to hear like, yeah bro you're ready fuck it who cares i'm like that's not a guy you want to hear right and most of my opinions and people that i trust are the complete opposite of me calmer maybe more mature in the sport they're not like these wild animals because wild animals will just breed more wild animals <laughs> yeah. you need somebody that's going to be like no dude why don't you do this instead oh that's a, that's a good idea yeah you know like focus on the games okay let me see so on and so forth talk about sitting down to write that article that blog where you not only had to be truthful with yourself about pulling out of nationals, but also obviously an audience as well. What was the feeling that you had before you sat down? Because I feel like everything that you've put into a blog has become the period or or the 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 staple of you say I'm gonna do I'm gonna eat avocados for the rest of my life. If you blog it, it almost feels like it's permanent. You, you're never going to unchange. And I feel like you see that with a lot of athletes. Oh, I'm, I'm retired. Then they're back the next year. Or, you know, I'm not going to do this comp anymore. Then they're back the next year. But it feels like when you blog something, it has a essence of permanence. So Practice makes permanence. <laughs> how long did you stew on that decision to pull out? <laughs> <laughs> Always. Um, <laughs> good question. Man, that's a good question. Um, I would say if the moment, the moment the events came out, yeah, the winds were out of my sails. I told very few people about that. How sad I was that I felt that way about nationals, something I had been waiting for for three years. Yeah, uh, since national, I haven't been to nationals since 2016. So it was the moment I got hurt. I was like, I can't wait to get back to nationals. And I missed my chance in 2018 because I was still beat up. I tore my bicep that year. Mm-hmm. So the moment the events came out, I was like, man, I don't even feel good about this. Like I looked at the events. I'm like, this is not what I'm supposed to be feeling. And I sat on it. I typically like to sleep on my emotions because sometimes I'm a very passionate, emotional person. So the first thing I want to do is act. And I'm like, stop, you know, respond, don't react. Yeah. And you're older now, so stop it. Um and I asked myself whether I was being a pussy, whether I was going to, you know, I'm cherry picking. And I wrote about it in the article. That's where the intro of the show comes from. Like, am I a coward? Am, am I, you know. And I asked myself the tough questions that 99% of this world can't. Like, no one can talk to me like that. I'm a very difficult person to lead. And I only have a few leaders in my life. And I'm a strong man. It's still, you know, it's hard for me to be vulnerable in that position. But I, I think it's important, and I tell this to all my athletes, that you put the life preserver, on your, life preserver on yourself first. And people ask me all the time, like, oh, Mike, you know, I'm here for you. I'm like, well, it's not that I don't recognize that. It's that I need to fix myself first. I can't ask you for help if I can't help myself. 
And that makes me very difficult to deal with, and I get it. But I need to learn how to be at the bottom, which I have been, by myself, and to talk to myself like I would a friend. And stop beating myself up for it, because that's what I want to do. I want to sit there and trash myself so much that now I'm angry, and I'm good at being angry, and I can work being angry, and I can train hard being angry, and I can be an angry coach and all this bullshit that comes from it, but that's not really who I am, right? So I sat there and I talked to myself. I'm like, yo, are you really a coward, dude? Because if you were a coward, you would have quit when your spine was fucking shit. I'm like, you're right. You would have been a coward if you gave up after you tore your bicep. You're right, too. I'm like, you would have been a coward if you gave up on your lifters and your, and your training and your love of the sport. I'm like, you're right. And I talked to myself. I go, what are you doing? And I, that's how I talk. I swear to God, that's how I talk to myself. That's the mindset that I had carrying into that article. I had an idea for the article, and I just go. When I write, I just go. Like, it's stupid. It's full of, like, a thousand grammatical errors, but I'm, I'm going, you know? Yeah. And I had to be, I think it's important, because I always said that the, the written word is forever. There's a certain feeling of writing something down or an article or being published or when you write something on paper, you know, like win or the will to win, you know, that when we have it on a, there's something cathartic and something permanent about putting something out there, but when you do it with a genuine, passionate will. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I wrote that, it's like a bleeding heart. Like, this is how I feel. And I'm putting it out there because there's no fucking going back. And I think it's important that when you put things out there in the world, especially written word, you're doing it because it's a stepping stone. Not necessarily, or a line to cross that you're not crossing back from. So when I write these articles, I can read them again, sometimes I do, to remind myself where I was then. And it's motivating to me. Or sometimes it's rough to read these things. Yeah. But they remind me to stay the course. A measure of a accountability. Correct. They are my road signs yeah. on my life. And I've found a, an incredible joy from writing and sharing some experiences. And people say, like, oh, man, what do you think? I'm like, honestly, dude? I'm just spitting out my guts here. Like yeah. I'm just writing what I, how I feel because that's who I am. Like I can tell you, Mike, are you scared? I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking scared, but fuck it. Like, I'm not lying to you. I'm not like these fuckers that are like, I don't feel shit. I'm like, you're a liar, dog. Tell me the truth. <laughs> They're like, no, I'm scared. I'm like, cool, me too. Let's go. You know, yeah. like, right? So that's the feeling behind these articles and behind that stuff is to remind myself. That's why a lot of successful people keep journals and diaries. They're like these pathways in your life of how you were feeling. That's how if you look at my, my training articles, you'll see like bad day, upset, hurt elbow, not too good, great day, feeling great. To remind myself when I look back at my notes that, hey, man, you've had good days and bad days. Be, be happy. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's been helping me a lot with the writing and things like that. And I, I think it's important for people to, to do that themselves, to document their journey. For good or for bad. That's why I believe the training journal is so valuable. So I keep all of them at four from 2013. Um, and yeah, so that, that, I hope that answers that question. It's just a, it was a big vulnerability check. And I think that courage and being a man and being a leader is being okay with being vulnerable, that which doesn't necessarily make you weak. It just says, I am fixing myself. And then I'll be able to lean on someone. Yeah. Some people would consider that pulling out or whatever. Some would say that that's quitting or, or cowardice. What would you say to them? I, I would tell them that they've never felt bottom before. 
I would say that when you're at the bottom and quitting is not an option because there's no way more, there's, you can't go further down, then you'd say something like that. Because when you're at the, quitting is going down. Quitting is, is sinking. When you're at the bottom, when the only other quitting is taking your life, when you're at that bottom, you will know the difference between quitting, being a coward, and making the right decision. And you know it because you feel it in your belly. You feel it in your fucking soul. I've been at bottom, dude. If you're calling me a quitter, you've never been at the bottom. And you're, a fu- you're either inexperienced or you're a fucking pussy. Because you don't know what bottom feels like. Because you can't tell another person that has seen the bottom, you're a quitter. It's like when I call people a coward, it's because I know what cowardice is. Because I felt it in my fucking guts. I know what courage feels like, too. And I know what genuine passion is. That's why I can see through people's souls. Like, oh, you're a quitter? I'm like, fuck you. You don't even know what quitting is. Tell me, tell me about your life when quitting is not the option. Not because you're saying that as a fucking meme to be cool. It's because if you quit one more step, you're dead. When you're at that bottom and you know what that quit button feels like, you know now what forward momentum feels like. You're no longer at that, oh, I quit. I'm quitting. No, that's why I talk to myself. Like, Am I being a coward? Like, no, motherfucker, you're not a coward. I know what coward this feels like. You're not at that stage in your life anymore, or at least not now. So when people would say that shit to me, and it's a good question, I don't think anyone would say it to me because you can see it in my fucking eyeballs that I'm not quitting. When you, when you know what you feel in your soul, when you say, I'm not doing this because it's not right for me, and you express that to somebody with true passion, they wouldn't even utter the words quitting because you already proved it to yourself that you're not a quitter. You see that you're, you're emanating courage. You're like, this is a bad idea. This is why I'm doing this. And people will look at you and be like, you're right. But when you yourself look in the mirror and you know you made that cowardice decision, you know you stepped out because you're a quitter and you knew it, and then you try to mask it and go, no, I'm just making the bad decision. And it was like, mm, you look like you're a pussy. <laughs> mm-hmm. The human being, the human, 75 to 80% of our interaction is nonverbal. We're animals. We pick up on body language, cues, facial movements. It's so incredibly invaluable. It's the animals in us. You know a pussy when you see one. You know somebody who's quitting, and you know somebody who's taking the step. And those people who, who emanate that is because they've, they've been to the bottom, dude. Mm-hmm. I know those people. Most of them are my friends. And when they're like, yo, I'm not having a good day, I'm like, you're right, because I know you've had a bad day before. Let's talk. Yeah. So that... To respond to those, no one's ever said that. No one said to me yet. But I, I know people feel it sometimes. And that's what I would respond with. How important is it for you to have the ability to, to love yourself, to understand the difference in quitting? I feel like most athletes or people in general, when they quit something, it's because it's a problem internally. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because most of us do sports Again, and I had said it before, and why people at the battle like Shim and, and they ask me about culture, it's because we it's typically we're fulfilling a loss. We're fulfilling a hole. And I tell most most, not all, top level athletes and lifters have this um unquenchable thirst to keep filling this hole that this gap, you know, see like the ocean just falls into a hole forever, forever, forever. Mm-hmm. And we have to continue to do that. The point of, 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 in my opinion, of if you want to say loving yourself or believing in yourself is the day-to-day rowing away from that hole. Like you're on this little, my, I visualize a lot of things because I'm just like artsy-fartsy like that. It's this perpetual rowing away from the bottom of a waterfall. Like you're just sitting there rowing so you don't fall into this pit forever. 
But that's why we want that. We want this task. We want this something to believe in, something to do. And you have to understand that, again, self-love comes from that the practice of being in the work, being in the fire is the purpose of your life. That's why you chose a difficult sport because the work, the process, the journey is everything to you. And when you get engulfed in that, it builds character. When you know that you have the choice to keep, that rowing is an okay choice, that practicing and being hurt and being slow and trying harder are the best things you have in your life, those are the day-to-day tasks that build self-confidence, it builds courage, it builds self-love, and that emanates through your body to other people. That's why when you're around a high-level athlete, you can't help but feel good. Mm. No matter how bigger, stronger, more ripped they are, you just want to you emanate to that person because they believe in themselves because they have been practicing this day in and day out all the time. It is the rowing, it is the fighting, the trench warfare, the things we talk about in every episode. Those are tasks that you can do every fucking day. And that's what you need to, that's what you need to sit in, the fact that you can do this. That falling off the waterfall is taking the last quit step down. And I like to dance right at the edge of that waterfall, man. That's just how my life works. Am I too tired? Am I, yeah, man, I'm always tired, man. I tweaked my knee standing up the other day. I'm like, fuck, man, really? But I, I felt it. That voice came right into me. Bro, if you tweak your knee standing up, how are you going to log press 300 again? And it starts to, and it's whispering, bro, if you get hurt from standing up, can you even squat? What if you blow out your knee? Yeah. Or why even keep going, dude? And it whispers. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. Like a cabinet of ideas. I'm going to listen to that voice. I'm going to sleep on it because I'm good at this. I didn't go to the bar. I didn't do anything stupid like I typically do. I sat on it. I slept on it. I woke up the next day and I was a little bit better. And I tell, because people try to help me, I'm like, just leave me the fuck alone. Mm. Just, just give me my time to fix myself. Give me a day to put the life preserver on me. I woke up and I go, okay. I woke up, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> I got out of bed. Things are a little less hard. Yeah. I walked to the mirror. I said, I know what I need to do to fix this. This is why I signed up for this. This, is, this knee pain reminds me of why I'm still in this sport. Because it gives me a chance to roll myself away from the waterfall. And that, that task of tackling that every day builds fucking confidence. I promise you. For all aspects of life. So when I tell you, John, you're going to fucking win this shit. You're going to be like, this nigga means that shit. Like, he, he knows because he's felt it in his fucking balls. You do this every day. Yeah. And it's every day something in the sport. Every day. He's like, ah, shoulder, ah, finger, ah, back. I'm like, good. Like fucking Jocko. Good. <laughs> good, dude. You got something to work for, dog. The only other option is what? Death, dude. Yeah. Because people like us need this. Right? And that built, that's why I love sport. That's why I'm so fucking passionate about sports. And I'm passionate about pulling yourself mentally and, and with courage. And I use these words that are meaningful. Because you find those in these day-to-day tasks. Everyone's looking for this esoteric pinnacle at the end of the sport. Oh, when I win this, I'll feel this. So you know that's not true. Now memes are flying all over the place, you know. But I've been in sports for 20 years. Before there was even Instagram. Should I, most of the people listening probably in sports forever, right? Right. Before it was cool to say these things, people were feeling it. Day in and day out. You know, you know when you win that championship, that's not going to fulfill the whole. Yeah. It might give you a little bit more of a rock to hold on to, but you still got to keep swimming. And I'm lucky that I found a little bit to hold on to via coaching. That has helped another aspect of my life to fulfill that gap that's never going to be filled. Never, never. 
it's never going to be filled. And I'm okay with that because falling or reaching the shore is not what I want. What, are, what would a man like me do when they reach the end? I don't want to reach the end. I want to keep fighting, and that comes in our sport. That's why we choose difficult sports to prove character. <laughs> we love you, Dark Continent. Good night. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. Um, you have <clears throat> spent a lot of time talking about quitting. Um, obviously, with your own battles and, and, and with your athletes, I'm sure. And you have expressed that the ability to not quit is an art. Mm. What makes you relate the ability to not quit to art and not a meme or something that's much easier. Why art over anything else? It's funny. First of all, um, son of an artist, so everything to me will always be an artistic thing. Uh, I was born, my mother's an artist, one of the best. My brother's an artist. Um, and as a child, I was taught to express things that I felt through art, drawing, painting, now, like playing instruments, writing, stuff like that. And it's it's important to dive into that part of your mind, I think. And that might be a little off subject, but I, I always ex- tell people to express themselves somehow outside of, of what you think is normal. Mm. Well, when I started training, it was martial arts. That was my first thing. And I was I was told that that was an expression of, of yourself, an expression of your weaponry, of what you were capable of. It was an expression. It was martial arts. There's a difference between being a fighter and a martial artist. When you really see somebody in that movement, they're expressing themselves. You can see how they move, that it's an art form. They have their own style, their own rhythm, their own passion. They, you can see it within them, that it's something it's something like that. Yeah. When I got into strength training, I realized that the what I do and how I train and how I look is an expression of who I am. The way my business looks, the gym, the way I carry myself, the tattoos I've chosen – the setups, the barbells I like to use, it's, an, it's a way to, for me to express myself, which I have always considered art. And I said, well, now my body's my canvas. And I, I think it's important for that because you express yourself with pride when you walk into a room. You're like, look at me. Yeah. Like, this is what I do. And, and you, you know, you, you feel it. I have the luxury of expressing myself through physical form. So you can look at me and be like, those guys' traps, like he lives, right? I want that. I'm fucking okay with it. Oh, Michael, you like attention. You're like, fucking right I do. Yeah. Because I've been training for 20 fucking years to express myself. Yes, I like to draw. I like to paint and play instruments. There's a lot of things to me that are private or mine. But this is the platform that I figured out. I'm not the best artist. I never will be a great you know, singer, songwriter, whatever. But this is my art form where I can inspire others. I can motivate others. I can move others. I can save lives by getting into deadlifting. <laughs> and if I see it as an art, then it's a passion. Then it's something deeper than percentages and programming. There is something much deeper to it for me. And If I express it that way, maybe it's more deeper for you. And now you're not seeing it as a mindless training session. You're seeing it as a lifesaver, as a reason to keep going, as a reason to be a better person, as a reason to help others, to uplift others, to let them leave the gym and be like, man, I feel good because we know what that feels like. So when I said the, the word art, I mean it. It's a way to express yourself. Quitting and not quitting become an art because it's part of it. It's part of that process. It is a very much like writer's block. I mean, 
a writer cannot be appreciated if they've never felt that bottom before. And I know that can be extremely hard on artists, like the, the idea of not being able to write. Or, or an artist that loses his, his motivation, his muse. Yeah. What's your muse, right? And I've always said, I go, you have to develop it. It takes time to learn the brush strokes, the paints that you like. Are you an ink, charcoal, acrylic, all these things in, in, deep in there? Are you an acoustic guitar, electric guitar? Do you like the blues? Do you like metal? It takes time. And then you find what you like, and you find what you love, and you express it. And in that process, quitting is an option. It's part of the process. It's there. You just didn't take it. Right? Yeah. It's like I said earlier. The quitting is there. And I said, even at the bottom, there's one more step to quit. It's just that's death, basically. But you didn't take that option. And that's okay. You chose not to quit. Everyone, I, like I said in one time in a story, it's like, oh, quitting is not an option. I'm like, it certainly is. Yeah. There's the difference between quitting and not doing something. So it, it, it's part of that process, I think, to be an artist. What we do, in a sense, is in a form of expression. Jeez. <laughs> I feel hot today. Yeah, man. Uh, listen, listen to it. <laughs> the bang. You hear that bang? That's a, that's us. We're totally drinking all the bangs right now. My peach bottom. <laughs> all training sessions from behind from now on. <laughs> They're straps. <laughs> um, do you believe that people are born with the ability to not quit, or is it developed? I when you when you, I knew this question was really good. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think about it on purpose. Okay. I wanted to come in genuine. Do I believe that people's ability to not quit is that people are born with that? I would say that most people are not born with anything that matters. I think we're born with the innate ability to survive, which is very raw. Uh, fear of heights, uh, greed, selfishness. These are things that we're innately born with, like animals. These are things that I think for the most leadership is, again, we had this discussion too. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily you're born with it. You just have a better ability to develop it. And I'd say the exact same about its counterpart, quitting. Just like we're not born courageous, some of us are born with the personality traits to, to be more courageous than the average person. But that doesn't mean that that person is going to go down that path. It's like mental, mental disorders. Some of us are born with the genetic trait to be uh, schizophrenic. But that gene will never be explored unless maybe you go through some shit. So you never have it. That's actual science, psychology. Some of us have the innate gene to be to have major mental disorders, but it hasn't been triggered because we haven't gone through that. It's true. I believe the same thing, and I attribute that psychological background to courage and quitting. Some of us are born with the innate ability to be better quitters than others. How you develop it, and who you surround yourself with and the environment you create for yourself will develop that for you. If you surround yourself with naysayers, doubters, haters, negative people, and you have that innate ability to quit inside your genetic fucking buildup and in your soul, you're going to be a quitter the rest of your life. And as much as you chose to surround yourself with that, and as much as you choose to keep doing it that way, you have the innate choice to keep developing that path, and now you're going to swim uphill. Just like you have the ability to surround yourself with people who are courageous and strong and build you up. So if you do have that ability to be courageous, it's going to develop incredible. And if you don't, you're still going to develop that ability. The same thing with quitting. I don't think anyone's born a quitter. Just like, a quitter. Just like I said, that saying no one's born a warrior. 
It's what you do in your life that develops that terminology. I think quitting is the same thing. It's, it's in us. You know why? Because quitting is surviving, dude. It's too hard for me to do strongman every day. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard on my knees. But I can't even, sometimes I can't even go downstairs right. I'm 34, John. <laughs> you look at me like, God, that dude looks great. I'm like, you have no idea what it took for me to pull my pants on today, dude. <laughs> it's there. Yeah. But I have surrounded myself with people that don't quit. They don't quit on me. They don't quit on, on their goals. They don't quit on their... It's one of the reasons why I love training with my cousin. He's the only other person like me that I can hang out with because I hate people like me. I can't stand them. I'm like, ugh, too many egos. Mine's awesome, yeah. you know? But he don't <laughs> quit. It's, that's why I really appreciate him. He's, he's not a strong man. He don't train with me, per se, on what I do. Yeah. But we train together. And I have other... Vinny, my friend Dennis, Bobby, Vanessa, when I train with you, like, there's certain lifters around me that don't quit. There's yeah. certain people in my, my clan that I invite to train with me on Sundays because they have that attitude. I need it. I'm past the days. I've already proved to myself that I can do it on my own, but I need help now. Yeah. So if I surround myself with these people, it's pulling that out of me, the ability to keep going. On the contrary, if I start hanging out with people that are like, oh, this is hard, dude. I had such a bad day. I'm beat. I'm going to call it. And it's like that all the time. It's triggering my ability to quit. Now I have to be the column consistently, always. I've done that my whole life. I am the column. I am. I am the person that doesn't quit. I am that person. Mm. But I want any help too because I'm only one day away from quitting. I'm only one lift away from quitting. Every fucking time it's there on my doorstep. Mike, you need to quit. This hurts. My mindset is telling me stop. My knees, stop. My back, my elbows, my soul. Dude, you need to stop. I'm not a fucking quitter. And I'm not going to surround myself with people with quitting. There's a difference between stopping and quitting. Quitting is giving up. Stopping is a choice. Yeah. So I do it all the time. I add it. And it's important because I think you can develop both attributes. You can develop quitting as much as you can develop courage. So I don't think we're necessarily born quitters. But I think it's easier for us to quit. It's an innate ability. It's, it's, it's natural to quit. It's natural to feel fear and run. It's we're animals. It's the choices you make that's going to choose that path, what you're going to develop more. How important is it to keep that marker of quitting on your timeline? What is what is the benefit of knowing that one of your options is to quit? I, I like that question a lot, actually. I think it's important to stamp it everywhere. I think it's an, it's it's important to remind yourself that you have the option to give up every day, but you don't. That's why I love that term, don't weaken. Like, what is weaken to me? Giving up on myself. That's the ultimate weakness is giving up on me first. Mm. I mean, giving up on other people is hard, but never give up on yourself. And I, I always want that devil on my doorstep. I always want that little reminder outside my door going, yeah, I'm right here, bud. I'm, I'm ready to quit when you're ready to quit. Like, let's do it. It's right there. I need it. I need it whispering at me like, through the window. <laughs> Bro, I'm right here, man. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Come on, dog, please. Let's hang out. I love it. So I can look at it every day and be like, fuck you. You don't know what I've been through. You're just sitting there outside the door waiting for me. Yeah. All the time. Dude, all the time. People ask me, oh, man, you ever think of quitting? I'm like, every day. It's real. It's right there. Yeah. And I like it there. 
I want it there because it proves I have something to fight for. It proves I, I still have something to fight against, that, that, that I'm, I'm worthy enough to have that rival. You are, it's like in training, right? When you find your rival, it's because you're good enough to have one. Yeah. That's my rival, me. Going, dude, give up. It's like, and I'm super getting super nerdy now. But we do understand that when Wolverine dies, supposedly he fights death every time to yeah. get back. And I love that, I love that mythology behind it. So he dies, and this guy's like, dude, just give up. Let me kill you right now. We're done. Yeah. And he's like, no, man, I got to fight you again to go back in life of pain because he's dying, right? Yeah. I go, that, that's cool to me. Obviously, being a nerd, I like to pull what that message is. You're, 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 somebody's on your shoulder going, dude, just give up. Get rico, bro. Just stop. Yeah. You won't be in pain anymore. You can, you can walk. You can diet. And I'm, I love the fact that I can tell that voice. I'm like, no, motherfucker. I got to keep going. And there's no one in the front going, I am the voice of going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Does push, your quit push, push. look like death? <laughs> it is death. That is quitting for me. That's death to me. Mm-hmm. You might as well put me down when I quit. And I mean quit like not necessarily like quitting sports and competitive sport. Quitting on myself, knowing that I go in the gym, I didn't train, that I just went through the motion. Mm. That'll kill my spirit. And if it kills my spirit, put me down. Seriously. I might be 55 if I ever make it, riddled with pain and troubles. But if I step in that gym every day going, I'm one step ahead of it. Yeah, I'm fighting forward. I'm going, man. Like, even if I get tired of doing push-ups, but I have that mindset of a warrior to keep going, I'm good. Like, just be real, man. I'm not going to be a competitive athlete all my life. It's, it's it, the days are not are, are, are numbered. I don't know, man. I <laughs> Bunko gets pretty aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get new like cyborg parts. <laughs> but oh, that quitting to me is the, for me is giving up and giving up on myself. You might as well might as well put me down. That that if I see it that way, like I know what it is to give up on to quit on life. <laughs> Unfortunately, I know too too much. I, I can't. How important now, with so many ups and downs with training, how important is it to hang on to your moral victories? That's a good question too. Moral victories are for moral men, and I try every day to be a moral man. So those moral victories remind me that I am in danger of becoming a good man, totally gladiator speech. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. I, 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 I meant it when I say, like, uh, my father is everything that I'm not, like, you know, uh, deeply passionate, obviously, but patient, genuine, humble, or not things that I'm not, but things that I'm not good at. And every day I get these, these ideas and these, these voices to decay morally. And I don't mean, like, you know, I'm not trying to be like a, don't do this and don't do that. Trust me. I'm not the person to rely on morals. I'm talking about training morals and spiritual warrior morals that keep me going in life, right? When I accomplish something in the gym that allows me to solidify that my moral battles are on the right track, they are the most important thing. As your body starts to decay, your spirit is all you have. And I mean that in the long term, and while you're training. You start your training session, balls to the wall, right? Everything's great. And then you're tired. 
and it's your last set, it's your last rep, where's your spirit? Your body's done. Where's your courage? You're on your accessory work. It sucks that you know that you can slack on. You know that you can stop. How are you approaching it? Where's your spirit? Your body's done. Where's your mindset? You go to work. It's a long day. You're tired. You have two more hours of work to feed your family, to buy your home. Where's your spirit? You're going to quit? You're going to quit on them? You're going to quit on yourself? You know where I learned that? In the fucking ring. Last round. Can't remember nothing. Brain swelling. Bloody mouth. Broken nose. Broken foot. Cracked ribs. Can't see shit. I don't remember rounds of my fight. I don't know shit. Brain fucked up. Where was I? Standing in the fucking middle, toe-to-toe, bro. Swinging for my life. That's what reflects on life. That's a moral victory for me. That I didn't fucking quit. That's a big one. And those things, as you grow older, are everything you have. Because those, my friend, you can share. I can't share my 500-pound deadlift. But I can share my story that will make you get 600. And that is important. As a human being, as a leader, as an athlete, as a fucking warrior. So that the ne- warrior next to you is inspired to die with you, not, ugh, fuck that guy. And those are moral victories if we want to go on that aspect of morality. Because courage and things like that fit into there. That's what I would say about that. Beacons on the horizon. Beacons. Man. You, uh... Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know, man. It's out there today. I, you know what it is, too? I've had a... I've had a um, I've had an interesting set of weeks. Yeah. Um, and that's, it was funny because I came up with that, the 30%, 70%. It's true, actually. I think it's one in eight hunts are successful for wolves. And I've been studying wolves as my favorite animal for quite some time, but I like the actual aspect, the science of it, you know? Mm. And I meant it. I remember I was saying it. Oh, I had a really bad throw, throwing day on Sunday. I couldn't even clear 16 feet. It was just not happening. And I've hit 17. And I kept throwing and throwing. And obviously, like I said, the ability to throw wasn't hurting me or, you know, it was just something wasn't right. I was probably guarding my elbows. And I walked in and I looked at Vinny. I go, and I said it. I go, you know, 70% are, are almost always wrong. It's the 70% what I should stay in. Because I knew that I'd have to wake up the next day and deal with what happened on Sunday. That you can't erase a bad training session just like you can't erase a good one. But what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with that? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm in it. I'm on the hunt. My whole life now is a hunt. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a path. It's a run. It's a sprint. It's a up and a down and a left. And it's snowing and it's not snowing. And it's fucking good. And some days are bad. And some days I, I hurt my ankle. And some days my paws are rough, you know? <laughs> and some days I eat. Rah, I'm still going, though. Yeah. I got to eat. And I, and, I, and I was, like, really caught up in that. I'm like, yeah. And you can see my mood change immediately because it was going down. I was like, fuck. And I get like really, man, I get pissed. Like it's a scary piss. Like fuck, leave Mike alone. And I came in and I verbalized it because once you put it in the air, it's permanent. And I said it. And I'm like, believe in it. And I'm like, believe. And I told Vinny with belief. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, fuck it. And my whole mood changed. And it's important to, to remember these things during good and bad weeks. To verbalize it is important. To write it down is important. I will make it. I'm going to fuck up today. Fuck yeah. It's important because it's permanent now. You put it out in the fucking atmosphere. It's there. Mm. I'm not talking about the 
the a law like in the oh if you put it out it's gonna happen bullshit if you put <laughs> it out you make it happen right if I say oh, I'm gonna win it's not gonna happen because I said it I said it so now I gotta fucking do it it's called keeping your word keep That's your right. word to yourself we keep our words to our friends but not to ourselves that's fucking weird <laughs> most of us are backwards yeah you know I don't do that no more I keep my word to myself which which in turn makes me better at being keeping my word to my friends. Sure. You can't look another man in the eye and say, you're going to fucking make it. If you yourself believe that you can't make it. I can see through people. I'm like, you're lying to me. Because you don't know what it feels like to make it. Because you don't want to make it. Yeah. When you're down, you need somebody else to whisper that to you. I can whisper it to myself. You're going to fucking make it, Mike. So when you say it to me, it's just a reaffirming that. It's building my courage. What you've already said. Exactly. Yeah. That's my mindset. I get super, super into it. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it's just, again, one of those things that on this journey, on the path, is reapplying more so to your life. I mean, training is a branch on a very long tree, a very high tree with a lot of different directions. And when you center yourself on that kind of thing, where you are giving yourself... I guess the visualization of that moral victory, you're kind of easier to climb when you know where you're heading. Or you know where you've been. It's funny that you mentioned that. (laughs) You say that a lot. Never forget where you come from. Uh, Why has that been so present lately? Because people just let me down. I'll be honest with you. People have been letting me down my whole life, but I've also been letting myself down my whole life. It's true. I hate when people, oh, of course. The only reason I build myself up because I've let myself down. And I know what that feels like. It's like losing a fight. It sucks. Yeah. You know, I lost a fight with myself, which is worse, right? Yeah. And I see a lot of people gain success. And I, I, I'm, I applaud them. I want you to feel, I want everyone I know that's close to me to be successful. Obviously, it's just better for the human race, better spirits. Better people, success breeds good, successful people, it breeds leadership. It, it's this kind of incredible umbrella. You're under the umbrella of success. It's like a successful gym has a successful feeling, right? When you go yeah, into the sure. battle axiom, you feel it, right? Yeah. And on the way up, I've always, always looked back. Not in the sense of um, looking back so I get, I get lost in that, like, oh, I used to be this strong. That's a different kind of perspective. That's a different view. When you look at things, uh, I don't know if you ever, you know, how you can put something in front of you and then look behind it and the thing loses focus that's in front of you. Yeah. And then you look at what's in front of you and the things behind you lose focus. It's a, it's a choice of your vision. It's a hunter's choice to see what he wants to see, like when you're aiming down the barrel of a gun. That's how I see when I look back. Like, what am I going to focus on so the other things become a little bit blurry and I can control my vision? And I've always looked back at my past and those who have been there for me like pillars themselves, whether it be it for one minute or years. And I know that at one point I stopped to lean at that pillar because the climb was too hard or the dig down was too hard. And when I climb up and that little pillar is really, 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 really small, that's all I look at. Because as my, I get older, my eyes don't work as they used to, but my heart is twenty twenty, <laughs> And I never, ever forget to look back. People have fucked me over in life so hard, and I've fucked people over too. And I know what it feels like to do on both sides of that. 
of letting people down and being let down. I hate it. I hate the, the ability to do nothing. I hate it. It's a, a true, I loathe is the word I would use. I loathe to just sit there and watch things pass me by. So I know that when I look back and I call back on what they've done for me, that they, they have a feeling of I'm still respected. I'm still in it. And that's what, as much as I can owe them, I can give it back to them willingly. And it's funny because I was going to do a story earlier this week. Never get out of your game owing anything to anybody. Never get out of your legacy, your choice, your path owing anything to anyone. Nothing. Not a fucking... Every, it's funny. People hate owing people money, but they're always in debt with their morality and their courage. They're like, oh, I don't owe him $100. Yeah, but you're a piece of shit. You're a bad friend. You're in the debt. You're thousands of dollars in debt as a friend, but you don't owe him money, so you feel good? Like, What kind of humans are we, right? Oh, I paid you for gas money. Yeah, but you're a shitty person. When have you, when have you called him to check on them? For the most part. I, I let down one friend, and I learned hard on that lesson. One. And I'll never do it again. Never, never. Are you there to pick up those calls? I know for sure, dude, if, I, if I'm gone tomorrow, I don't owe anyone fucking shit. I might owe you some money. I'd rather owe you money than my friendship. I know for sure, dog, if I go tomorrow, no one's going to come and be like, yo, this guy didn't do shit for me. He owes me that. And you have to understand that that's what looking back is all about. That's what don't forget where you fucking came from. And I'm passionate because I get pissed when I see people become successful and they don't even have a short sight. The column is not even that far away. That, that rock that they lean on is right there. It's in the forefront of their vision. And they can't look fucking past it. They're not even looking at that. Because they're caught up on the way up or caught up by looking at themselves. It's bullshit. Because you owe that person something. They were there for you. You're in debt forever, motherfucker. That's, and now you know what that is? That's the fight. That's the fight. That's the, that's the, you're supposed to live for that. You're supposed to live living for your fucking friends and the people who were there for you. That's how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be in debt. Good. Good. It gives you a fucking reason to keep breathing because if you owe somebody something, you wake up every day and you fucking give it back. When you owe the fucking bank, what do you do? You fucking work for it, right? Yeah. Ah, let me put a little bit on it, dog. Yeah. We'll, we will kill ourselves to pay off debt. Trust me. <laughs> I pay it all the time. Yeah. We will fucking bend over backwards to pay off a credit card bill. And we're okay with that. But we're not okay paying back our friendship to people or what we owe them. We, we see it as a distant monster. Because we don't want to deal with the feeling, that shitty feeling that you get when you owe a friend something, morally or spiritually. But that's the whole purpose of life. And that's what's saying is never forget where you came from. I don't know anyone fucking dick that has helped me. I give them all the time. I talk about them all the time. Just like you guys know my friend that passed away because I don't owe him nothing no more. I'm like, yo, he's going to be my friend forever. Wes, my teacher from Muay Thai, all the people that have helped me, I talk about them like they're here right fucking now because I still will owe them all the time that feeling, right? Yeah. I want to feel like I don't owe them shit. And I, I know it's just what I'm saying is I don't want to feel that way even though I still owe them, right? Yeah. I just don't want to feel like I'm in debt to them. And I do it all the time. Dude, I fuck up all the time. 
I'll catch myself like, when's the last time I text this person? <sighs> Let me fix it. Not, oh, well, fuck it, bro. I don't want to deal with that feeling of awkwardness. And that's why no one will remember your name. Because you don't want to fight that feeling. That feeling is called quitting. You're quitting on your friend. It's cowardice. You don't want to sit there and be like, dog, I haven't messaged you in a little bit. How are you? <sighs> yeah. Because you're not quitting on your, but, or you can take the other route and develop your moral quitting ability, your habit, your genetics to just keep quitting on people. And then guess what happens? Then you wonder why no one fucking likes you or why no one's your friend or why no one's supporting you. I can tell you why, dude. Because you're quitting on your friends because you're quitting on yourself every time you don't take that fucking step. And that's forgetting where you came from. That's forgetting about them. That's killing them. You're killing the spirit of that person. You're not going to tell them. That's what you know that, right? We talk about a time you die twice. When you die, when people stop speaking your name. The only way they're going to speak your fucking name is if you're in there with them all the time. Yeah. That's not forgetting where you came from. It's not saying I got to buy them food or buy them a car or buy them a drink. No. It's living your life, expressing your legacy, and telling people their name. Because there's a power in that name. There's a power when you put something out in the fucking humor. Is that power? There's a fucking permanence. And you've got to express it. So when you fucking stop speaking that person's name, they're dead. And it's not only about speak, it's speaking the name, expressing what they've done for you. And I'll bring up Wes. The way I coach is so much like Wes. I wish you guys could be in that room when he's coaching. You'd be like, holy fucking shit, that's you. I go, yeah, because his legacy lives through me. Because the way I was born and honed and hardened was through fucking getting my ass fucking whooped in that ring by him. And here I am. And this podcast is forever. The CTC on my ribcage is forever. The stories of my fight that are expressed through the courage and the will and the fucking everything I go through, the deadlift, was because I chose that path with him and my friends that were there. That's how you never forget where you came from. And every once in a while, hey, man, thank you. This is thank you to this person. You want to shout out all these fucking companies and all these people you don't know and you want to tag the rock. When's the last time you tagged your friend? When's the last time you said, yo, this person helped me? And I did it on my story recently when I had to train in the morning, like at 5 in the morning. I'm like, what is motivating me right now? Who is motivating me right now? And I posted their names. You know, my mother, Gabby Jr., Gabby Sr., and Abeku. I go, their names their, has envisioned. There's something they're doing makes me go forward, and this is how I'm going to pay it back to them. My mom doesn't even probably didn't even read that, but you did. And you know who Nora de la Paula is and what she means to me enough to get me out of fucking bed with a tweaked nerve and fucked up and getting PRP and fucking getting my job done, my job. That's how you pay it forward. That's how you don't forget where you came from. People don't do that. And they start climbing up, and then they look back. Guess what? Now it's too far gone. Now that pillar is way down there. You can't see it no more. And you know you fucked up. You know you did. People aren't going to be here forever. We talked about it last time. And I see it all the time in this fucking business, dude. I see it all the time. And there's a difference, man. There's a difference between a pillar and a beggar. There's going to be people in your life that are always going to call you out that they need more and more. Hey, don't forget that I did this for you. You're a fucking beggar. You're a punk. You're not a pillar. Hey, you remember the one time I did? I'm like, fuck you, dude. I already fucking, I already, I helped you out. We cleared that. 
Those yeah. are beggars. Those are not people that you focus your vision on. They're the blurry part. <laughs> because real columns never ask for anything back. Because they did it because they loved you. Right. They don't ask for anything back. You yourself have to step up to that game. And I've been talking a lot about that because I've been seeing it. And it's disappointing. And I say one of the greatest disappointments in life is when somebody does exactly what they were supposed to do and exactly what you expected them to do. That's one of the most disappointing things in your life. When you're like, this person's going to fuck me up, fuck me over. And guess what? They do it. And you're like, I knew it. That's one of the most disappointing things in the world. Yeah. And I, and I brought it up <laughs> all the time. You're like, I do it all the time. I see it. Yeah. I'm like, you, you were going to let me down. And you did. Fuck. Fuck it. And you push forward, man. And it's funny because those people that are probably going to be huge motivators in your life, too, yeah. not to be that way. So, and, I, and, I, and it's sad because in our community, the rise to the top can be so fast. Yeah. You know, social media, strength, performance sports, it's so fast to rise to the top. You know, you can get super strong and super popular in two years. Sure. What are you going to do with that? You know, I've seen people who were brought into the sport by one person, then they move on to bigger and better things, and they never mention that person ever again. Not even in passing. Not even like a... And it's funny because we do have to identify the incredible power that is social media. But as we said earlier, the incredible power of putting something out there in the universe on permanence you yourself took time to think about this person for five seconds and fucking do it and not forgetting them and going that's crazy are you infusing that now into what's become the way that is the way and if you read a lot about the philosophy about the way it's a good question it's absolutely a part of it because it's part of the warrior spirit honor your teacher honor your sensei Honor your family, honor your ancestors, honor your home. That's not forgetting. That's basically saying not forgetting where you came from. Yeah. It's in the code. Whatever warrior code you want, honor the, the man or woman next to you. It's, it's, a li- it's part of the way. Everyone has different ways of expressing it. Everyone has different ways, but make them know, make them feel that they understand your way. And it's, it's invaluable. It's an invaluable tool as an athlete, and it's an invaluable tool as a person. And I, unfortunately, I see it all the time. People just forget. Or <laughs> they just don't care enough to look back. And that, that's a choice. To not care is a choice. Is it some, somewhere in, in there with the understanding that the sacrifice of what you feel for someone, say, for example, you're in a position of, I guess, power, you could say, or you're in a position of influence to pull them along. And you make that choice knowing that the possibility of them disappointing you, um, how important that is that to understand that your position doesn't necessarily have the gratitude it should when you pull someone along. You know, I talk about this often, especially at the gym. I've always valued myself that I try to create leaders. I think it's something invaluable in the leadership role. And I know it's important to get that. But the job of a leader 
is self-sacrifice. You are bleeding out. And it's leadership by choice. There's a difference between leadership by choice and leadership by job or force. When you choose to be a leader, you take these things willingly. The pain of loss, the pain of betrayal, the pain of heartbreak, the pain of being forgotten, of under underappreciated, undervalued, underpaid if you want to get serious. That's 80% of the game. You take that willingly. You, you bleed yourself on purpose. You take those blocks out of yourself on purpose. The 20% or 10 or whatever, man, I hate to do percentages sometimes, but that little bit is so big that it's worth the blood loss. It is so valuable and it's so beautiful to feel that feeling, even if you know that person's going to betray you. You know that that person, for the most part, many times will forget you or stop coming or stop talking about you or not do what you say. You know it in your heart. But those small moments of time where you have this connection with this person is everything. And everything ends. And in that moment, that is, that is your whole world. You need to take that with so much passion and so much pride and so much love because for the most part, love sucks. When you truly love something, it just sucks. It just, it's, it's, it's work, man. Love is work. I told somebody, my parents are going to be married tomorrow for 46 fucking years. I know what love is. It's work. And it's a lot of shitty moments. But those little moments when they look each other in the eye, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, these people love each other. That one little moment is worth years of pain. If you truly love something, like sport and strongman, those little bits of time, your log press, or the, and we talked about Nicole's press, or your feeling of, of coming into that, those little seconds are everything in the world to you, and they're worth the four months of pain. We'll multiply that by 10 years. Now we have 40 months for five minutes. Add up all my, comp- all my competitions and all my fights, all of that, all my rugby games, everything. Nothing. A couple days. A couple days in 20 fucking years and 34 years of life. But it's worth it. That's coaching. That's leadership. All your life, all your day. You know, we text you all the time. Hey, man, how are you doing, coach? Can I, you know, those are rare. Granted, I'm very spoiled with good people. So I'm not going to talk shit. The badass clan of my close friends, they check on me. So I'm just taking in general. Yeah, sure. And it wasn't always like that, man. <laughs> I didn't, the battle class wasn't always like that. It took years. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with people. You take that pain willingly because when you love something, it's just pain. And you have to love pain. You have to love pain. You have to love loss. You have to love betrayal. You have to love hardships, man. You have to love loneliness because leadership is lonely, super lonely. When there's 40 people and just one of you, you go home with 40 problems. You go home with 40 heartaches, 40 injuries, 40 life stories, 40 losses. When they lose somebody, you lose somebody. When they get hurt, you get hurt. When they're upset, you're upset. 
And you got to mask that with this face of you're going to be all right. Even though inside your stomach is burning and turning and feeling for this person. And you're gutted and your fucking heart is spilled out on the floor. And you got to be like, you're fine. When you're having a bad day, nobody cares about your bad day when you're the leader. You can't have a bad day. You have to take that willingly. And it is a fucking burden. And it's fucking fine if you love it. If it's your cross to bear, you better love that motherfucker. And that's what leadership is. You got to fight all the time. All the time. And people, oh, Mike, you know, dude, I don't give a fuck how long I live. Because what I've lived is worth those seconds of moments when somebody looks at you and says, thank you. And you're like, oh. And I, on the outside, I'm like, yeah, no problem. On the inside, I'm like, I don't even know what to say to you. <laughs> yeah. Because you're finally being valued for everything you've ever wanted. And it's just snippets of time. Seconds. Milliseconds. And you grow up and you grow old. And those are the moments you'll talk about. I was asked, about, I was asked recently about, you know, why you do something like traveling. You know, where a lot of us are going to Ireland to support uh, Vinny, Vanessa, and Maria. They made the world, right? Mm. Oh, but, you know, it's expensive and stuff. I go, no one will remember you for your credit card debts. But they will remember all the memories you told them about. And that's what's important. That's like training. That's like leadership. I can tell you all the betrayals. Trust me. I have a fucking laundry list of how many times my heart's been shattered. And it's absolutely Im- incredibly important to continue to focus on what is the positives. Mm. That's a... The thing is, and it's funny, uh, if anyone got to attend the Iron Knight seminar and we talked about deposits, it's funny because I think as you've gotten more into speaking you're also now talking about deposits into your your bank for your mental wellness and for your for your obviously your physical and now those two are tying together and i think that's important to remember because i think we lose sight i i am certainly a person who i'm either very very good physically or very very good mentally I don't have no balance at all. I I lose that all the time. You bring me back down a lot. You talk me down off that ledge <laughs> because I am I'm I'm a in 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 my struggles that's what happens to me. I either am completely locked in physically or men- and mentally I'm checked out or the reverse. Hmm. I believe well, thank you for that first of all. I, ugh, on the inside. I know. I know, um, but did that conversation you just had as a reminder? Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I talked about it today. <sighs> I hate it because it's just a, a big, deep side of me, but I want to give everything I can to my lifters that I never had, but I also want to give everything I always gotten. Oh, I think good. it's a two-piece thing, right? Most people are like, oh, I want to give you everything I never had. I want to give you that, and I want to give you everything I've had, too. Yeah. Because I've had great leaders in my life. I've had one or two great leaders. Wes being one of the biggest ones, obviously. Yeah. Ryan Carroll at the time was, was still somebody I confide in. Wes being my first mentor, teacher, whatever. My parents. Their father, for sure. For sure. My mom and my dad. Great yeah. leader. I've had great leaders. So I want to give everything 
that I've had as much as everything I haven't had because a lot of the things I never got was because I didn't take that way. It's A lot of it's my fault. Either I, I ran away or didn't approach it or it wasn't courageous enough to follow that path to learn that valuable lesson. And as I get older in my mind, because uh, I feel like sometimes my old soul is just old and sometimes not enough, I want to express that to somebody else so that they one day pay it forward. And that is the ultimate gift of leadership, is that you're watching the seed that you planted finally blossom into something beautiful. Uh-huh. When you, I said it last episode too, when you see, maybe I did, when you see the, the, you, the fruit of your labor transcend what you're doing in the gym, it is the ultimate compliment. It's like when somebody says, man, that's a bad motherfucker. I know they're from your gym. I'm like, thank you. And on the inside, I'm like, God damn it. It's working. Better than a physical thank you? Better. Way better. I don't even give a fuck about me. Like, no. oh, well, you're good. I'm like, I don't. What about my lifters, right? <laughs> what about my, my people? Sure. And in the essence, and in finding that, and in trying to be that, that, that good teacher, it has helped me personally balance myself out. But like I say every day, it is, it, is, it is really not easy. It is really difficult for me to balance out. I, I, as I get older, you'd think, well, you know, you're mindful, you're more balanced. I go, am I? Or am I really good at being unbalanced? And it's, a re- it's my reality. It's not, I'm not going to express the energy I give you to be like me. I always tell people that, oh, Mike, first of all, I don't know why anyone would want to be like me, but don't, (laughs) you know, don't, don't. What I do want to progress is I want to give you everything I didn't have that made me be unbalanced and everything I got to make me fight forward, just tip the scale in my favor every once in a while. You know, the scale can't be balanced every day. It's the up and down, the give and take. But people in my life, great leaders, they have allowed me to understand what the fuck that feels like to push forward. And I'm going to give you all the good things, and I'm going to tell you all the bad things. Because there's some things I wish people would have told me. And Wes fucking helped me with that. My parents, my friends, certain people I've met in my life, and people that have gone from my life, and in their actions, spoke more than their words. That's important. That's the main thing. It's Again, it's not about... There is no balance, right? We're never, we're never too balanced. And yeah. as a leader, it's it's your life is unbalanced. Yeah. You have everyone depending on you. It's one against eighty, and I don't mean the term eighty. I mean against in a poor way, but it's one against fifty. It's one against ten. It's one against five. It doesn't matter. The odds are not in your favor, and you're doing willingly. You're doing it willingly. Yeah. And by standing on those odds and against those odds with a positive, passionate, relatively stable platform and column, you're going to inspire those 5, 20, 30, 40, 50 to be the beacon for another 20, 40, 50. Mm. And that's paying it forward. That's what all leaders aspire to teach, in my opinion. It's, it's not necessarily showing you, hey, John, this is what a balanced looks, life looks like. It's telling you, John, this is what an unbalanced man looks like, but this is what it looks like to fight every fucking day. Your turn. Your ball, your shot. Let's go. Yeah, that's how you. That's how you inspire leaders. Not, 
hey, man, you know what? You, you Don't drink. Uh, focus more. Diet. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, <laughs> motherfucker, you're going to drink, but you better get that shit under control because I'm telling you right now, I know what it feels like to overdrink your training and how many years I probably lost in my life because I do stupid shit. Well, guess what, dog? I'm trying my best every day. Your turn. Not this bullshit, esoteric, mean bullshit, and be good to everybody. No, man. That's not real. Some people deserve to get punched in the fucking mouth. <laughs> Major right? facts. Yeah. Uh, don't give me that. Don't yeah. give me that. Remember when you go to medical offices and you see that little horizon with the thing, like little positive things. Oh, be good. Shut up. <laughs> be better. <laughs> That's a good one. Mine yeah. always said, set all of this on fire. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> I need, I those, like, they came up with like a sarcastic one. Yeah. yeah. And it, I tell you, it's it's invaluable to do that. It's, yeah, I think, in my opinion, as an athlete, as a coach, as a leader, it's teaching people or at least showing people what it is like to fight every day in that balance. The comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. The satisfied with the unsatisfied. And to use that as a positive way or a positive force to go forward rather than letting that decay you. Because if you're satisfied with being unsatisfied all the time, that can also go backwards. But show them how it is in a positive sense. Show them that being scared and being fearful is a way to dig into your courage. It's a way to develop courage and character. Show them that. That, yeah, man, I am scared, dude. When I write, I am fucking nervous. I am nervous about picking up a stone in a sandbag now. But I try every day. I focus on that. That's what you do. And people see that. People resonate it. They they feel it in their bones. And that's that's something that we, you know, well, it's cool how we got here. Um it's funny, it's funny the, the path this podcast took is pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it must have been the ring. Why does this happen? I don't I don't I don't know. Um I don't know. But I I tell you it's funny because I came in. A little mentally tired. Obviously, Columbia lost yesterday, so my heart is shattered into a thousand pieces. At least. <sighs> but I take, I, I try to take into account everything I see. Everything I see and do. And, and I, uh, maybe I, I had a meeting last week, and it's like, this is a, it's an obsessive mindset that I get that everything that's in front of me and, and through my, my senses is a powerful builder of my, of my journey. And I see it and I feel it. And I, I'm, I'm always cognizant of my journey and my steps and who I surround myself with and the mistakes I make and when I act like a piece of shit. And I, I'm cognizant of it. I'm never too distant from myself to identify these things, right? Yeah. And that's why I attribute to, to being a coach, to being a leader, to being an athlete, to building character, to building passion, perseverance, you know? The point of the, the whole... I came into this this podcast today with the par- the, the perspective of I'm just going to go and let it, like we always do. We're just going to build a genuine path. But I knew that not quitting was the point of the podcast. I knew that persevering was the point of the podcast. But I had to feel it. And obviously you asking amazing questions and just being present with you here. It it builds this journey. If this moment, these two hours at a time are permanent. What we say now and why I love not editing anything is because it's permanent. Mm. Sometimes you'll hear me contradict myself on a show, and I'm okay with that because it's a story of my life. <laughs> Athlete, coach, badass, drinks, likes to sleep, watches movies too, right? <laughs> if he didn't drink so much, he'd be a better athlete. But yeah, if I didn't drink so much and was a better athlete, maybe I wouldn't be me. Maybe you wouldn't listen to me when I say, this is not good for you because I've been on that path. Yeah. And I came in with that concept of, well, what are we going to do with these questions? What are we going to do about not quitting? What are we going to do about expressing ourselves 
And I find that, that the task to do, sis, do this shit and to, to keep focus is an everyday fucking struggle. And I tell you what, every time I come in here, it's a, it's a new day. It's a new chance for us to tackle something. And that's why I don't really research anything before the show. Because sure. this concept and these conversations are a direct representation of what the fuck I'm preaching. If I, it's a new day. It's a new chance for me to be better. It's a new chance for me to dig in my mindset to, to get on my fucking level and be different. And I tell you, and I, and I talk to a lot of people all the time. I get asked a lot of questions about not quitting. How did you come back? You know, how do you do this? Because I never left, right? I always say I never left. You don't leave things you love, right? We talked about this too. You do, truly, you got to sit with it in the bad. And I treat every day like that, man. I have so many reasons to quit all the time. Uh, reasons, excuses. I have so many things in my bones that are yelling at me like, bro, stop. I got some friends that are like, yo, you, when are you going to quit? They're so dumb. And they're friends. I got some family members that don't give a shit about what I'm doing, who's never bought a shirt. I got people that are literally my best friends in life and don't even have not read a single fucking article. Not one. Nothing. And I can sit here every day and focus on that as a cancer to destroy my soul every day. What's the point? You're right. They don't even do it. What's the point? But you know who reads those articles? I do. I read them like 10 times. You know who hears those podcasts every once in a while and I started doing this lately? I do. I listen to the last 10 minutes. I listen to right now when I'm spilling my fucking guts and my soul all over this fucking air. So when I hear myself next week, I'm like, you didn't quit, motherfucker. You didn't quit on yourself. You're asking me how to keep going every day and how to persevere that it's more than a tattoo around my fucking throat? Because it's permanent. Because it's every fucking day that I have to try really hard not to quit. And it's hard, dude. It's hard because quitting is right under the umbrella of love. It's right there. You want to quit on things you love all the time because it hurts. God, it hurts so fucking much to love something deep. It just hurts, man. It's not always there for you. It betrays you. It runs away. But it's in that fight. It's in that pull down. And when you love something so much, it's only because somewhere deep down in your gut, you know what it is to love yourself. You're just too fucking scared to understand that loving yourself is an option, that liking yourself is part of it. Because even saying love yourself sounds so fucking stupid and generic that you don't even want to say it. That we focus on so much external shit and external moments, we're not even repaying our moral debt to ourselves. I try every day, dude. I'm in debt with myself so much, dude. I'm like <laughs> IRS to myself. Like, you're in debt forever, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's every day that I work to pay a little bit back, right? Put money in the bank. Like, I joke about the anger bank. But I wake up every day and I put, some days I put a nickel. Some days I let myself down deep, dude. I lie to somebody. I break somebody's heart. I let somebody down. Somebody gets hurt. I forget something. I don't call my dad. I forget somebody's birthday. I forget to send a text to somebody because my brain is tired. And I forget that. Or I don't pick up Mama Wilson's calls because I'll call her back and then I don't. And I let myself down. And I feel it. I feel it in my spirit. And then I sit there. 
and I talk to myself that I have every second after that moment to put some more money back in my moral bank, to keep going, to call her back, that it's not forever, that I'm not six feet under, that it's okay to suck, that I do suck, that I am forgetful, that I am a liar and a thief and a scumbag, and I can be a coward and fearful, and that I do think about quitting all the time, and sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I really don't, and I push forward, and I call that person back, and I remind myself, hey, dude, you fucking did it. And in these moments like this, I speak them out, I verbalize it, I tattoo it in the air, I tattoo it on my soul, perseverance. That is the fight. That's what not quitting is. It's always an option, man. Good, sometimes you'll take it, but for the most part, you won't, because it's self-sacrifice. That is love. It's giving everything, man. That's what loving a person is. That's what loving a sport is. That's what loving yourself is. Whatever the fuck you want to see it as. That's what it is. It's pain. It's funny. We'd rather deal with the pain of a deadlift than an injury than actually deal with that moral strain, that heartache of letting ourselves down. It's deep. You got to talk to yourself. It's weird. We're like crazy people. You'll talk yourself up for a deadlift, but will you talk yourself up to get up in the middle of the fucking night and be a better person? Would you talk your friend up? Well, when you do, you build a little bit more of your column, a little bit more of your, your spiritual pillar, if you will. So if you're asking me not to quit or how not to quit or how to persevere, there it is. Every fucking day, every second, it's there. And you got to let it marinate, man. You got to let it marinate in your fucking soul. This is the Battle Axe Podcast. This is MDLP. Saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends.